Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the 143rd edition of the Frank and Stan chat. And uh, for those watching on video, um, you will see that we have a guest with us, Carolyn Eyre, um, a safe, uh, shall I call it a safeguarding expert? But anyway, I mean, I've known Carolyn for a number of years. Um, when I was a CEO, she, uh, uh, I, I realized that I didn't have sufficient expertise within the trust um, around safeguarding issues. So um, Carolyn used to do, I think, some work in Leeds and somebody recommended Carolyn. So I then, we then connected and uh, uh, Carolyn did quite a lot of work for the trust and uh, we've kept in touch ever since. So <laughs> Carolyn was always down, weren't you, Carolyn? Yeah. Always down for this week. Um, we haven't brought Carolyn in for this special because of these events that have been happening uh, regarding a Cavisham Primary School, but it's uh, it's timely. And uh, anyway, uh, thank you for joining us, Carolyn. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, yeah. I know you watch our, this... you, you you watch the podcast and video cast, don't you? I know that. So yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And um, yeah, it was. Um, a bit perplexed at the idea of getting up so early on a Saturday morning. So, <laughs> yeah, we normally, do, we normally do them on a Friday, but it's all down to me. I'm mucking things up this week. Yes, Dan? Well, I was going to say, not as perplexed as I was when I thought it was half past eight tonight. Got a phone call. Right, look, let's let's ignore all of that. Let's move on quickly, because uh, that's all down to my poor planning. Um, uh, anyway, uh, Carolyn, sort of, could you want to just give a little summary as to, you know, who you are and what you do? Yeah, so um, I'm an independent safeguard and consultant, very definitely not an expert. Always worry about people who say that they're experts and things. Um, I work nationally with local authorities, local safeguard and children partnerships, multi-academy trusts, um, independent schools, charities. Um, I do a lot of training, a lot of auditing complex disciplinary investigations i've just finished chairing a child safeguarding practice review that was um an experience and i'm not sure that i would do it again in a hurry but i learned a lot from you know from the the new system is very different to what i've been involved in before um i support schools to try and be the best they possibly can in terms of keeping their children safe i also sometimes uh, work with schools where things have gone wrong to um, try and help them to you know f- find sense and, um, and 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 become better and probably the the, the probably the, the greatest love of my work is I'm the safeguarding advisor to NAS which is the National Association of Independent and um, uh, non-maintained and residential special schools so I work with schools around the country who care for the most vulnerable children in our society and um, the, the, there is something there is something very challenging but also very inspiring about you know working with organizations that support those children so I spend a lot of my time in special schools. I mean before we get on to Stan I mean the uh the news this week has been all around this Ofsted inspection at Cavisham Primary School, which is, uh, you know, um, I'm not saying it has led to, but it, 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 the, the the head teacher of that school um, committed suicide earlier this year. Um, and uh, I'm just interested. I mean, it looks as though a number of the issues relate to um, safeguarding uh, when you read the report. Um, 
I, I'm just what, what what's your take on this and and also you know you had I think you were attending a meeting yesterday with Lados from a, around the country. It's interesting to see you know what what the, what the sort of the, the tone of the meeting and, and what people felt yeah. about it all. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm a member of CAPE, which is the um, Child Protection and Education Network. It's a national network of uh, safeguarding leads in local authorities. So some of them are LADOs, some of them are the education safeguarding managers uh, who support schools to deliver training. A lot of them are people that are ex-authority like me, who then became independent for whatever reason. Uh, we also have some MAT safeguarding directors. And um, so we we had a meeting yesterday. And of course, we're talking about, we were talking about this situation and the mood nationally. Uh, we all felt it was very important not to talk about the details of the case because we don't know until there's an inquest we don't know what you know what actually happened and and what the influencing factors were but certainly we were thinking about how do we support our schools now how do we keep our head teachers steady how do we um make sure that people are feeling safe and secure but also that practice is good and um <clears throat> so we were thinking through one of the conversations we were having was about the difference in support for head teachers in their localities. You know, often in the a couple of our mat lead um, members were observing that in in a multi academy trust, often the head teachers do have a lot of support from their directors, their area managers. You know, from the the, the people in the trust above them, and in maintained schools, it depends really very much on the authority. So a lot of head teachers may have a good SIP, they may have a strong safeguarding team in the local authority who can keep them updated, you know, a health and safety team, which is functioning, stress risk assessments, WASPs, strong links with occupational therapy, safe spaces, access to organisations like um, um, head uh, Ros McMullen's organisation, HeadSense, HeadSense, HeadRest, HeadRest, thank you. Uh, but in other authorities, all those services have been um, dissipated. And so head teachers might feel very, very on their own. And, you know, how do we how do we as a, as a society, as an education sort of um, sector, help people help people to to know where to go if they're yeah. feeling yes. you know feeling unsure about their practice their mental health is also very important but unsure about practice i think now um, now it's interesting isn't it because over the last uh, this new ofsted framework um there was something in it um around wanting to really challenge outstanding schools that hadn't been inspected for a long period of time and uh uh, clearly that's happened you know because there are a number of outstanding schools that have had a grade drop um and some of those were related right it'll say it's a significant number isn't it it's, it's in, number, yeah. in the 80 percent chances of you retaining your outstanding yeah. grade, so. so it's not just a, a number it's no. it, yeah. most yeah but it's interesting that uh, uh, a focus for some of these not for all has been around uh safeguarding and uh that, in a sense, that's sort of. Uh, I'm thinking about my role as an inspector. Um, that's it's. It's a sort of. I think perhaps seen to be an area that is an easier one to examine um, because uh, it may be that there are some things that are definitely happening. Some things, if you're doing sort of audits and checks, that didn't happen. 
Um, so it's, whereas actually if you're starting to uh, sort of criticise other aspects like the quality of learning or whatever, that's a slightly more challenging aspect, particularly if in some of these schools where there's particularly high attainment. So it's interesting that that's the area that seems to have been focused in on. And I think I'm hearing of a number of schools, you know, toppling over in terms of their grades uh, on this on this front. And they, they, these are schools that haven't actually been inspected for quite a long time, some of them for over a decade so I don't know if that was mentioned yesterday as well, Carolyn, whether that was it, an aspect. It was. And it's also a conversation that I've been having, you know, with, with some of my some of my schools. The, teaching, the way that children learn, um, the way that staff plan lessons, the way that classrooms are arranged, that hasn't really changed very much in 10 years or 13 years. And there's a school near me who've just gone from outstanding to RI. And I think it was 13 years since their inspection. The, the children haven't changed, so apart from the pandemic, children haven't really changed in the way that they learn, in the way that their brains develop, in the way that they are engaged in that time. The, the 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 nature of risk in society has changed dramatically in that time and so you know the the, the child protection issues that that schools face that is different the way that staff record concerns is dramatically different now to mm. what it might have been 10 15 years ago you know paper systems nationally so many schools now have digital systems uh, the the statutory guidance has changed five six times in 10 years so how how do school leaders governors proprietors make sure that staff are being kept updated with the new stuff and you know i I have some issues with bits of that the requirement for all staff to know the indicators of and understand the risks associated with um uh, homelessness Mm. i mean yes it's a you know it's it's a tragedy nationally that children so many of our children are homeless or at risk of homelessness but do staff need training in it to be able to be empathetic and recognize when a family needs support no and if we get an inspector who comes along and says well where's your evidence that staff have all been trained on how children are at risk of homelessness most schools wouldn't be able to evidence that so so i think you know children's lives have changed so much not all children but children who are vulnerable or at risk their lives have changed so much since that outstanding school's last inspection and and some schools seem to have not kept pace with that the other thing that I think has changed is we have an increasing I see an increasingly disturbing number of rogue inspectors who are looking for things that are not reflected in the statutory guidance and if I'm supporting a school where uh, the uh, no, I was at a school this week who've had uh, who've really been picked over by an inspector for things that are not in the statutory guidance. And I was mm. saying, well, did you say to the inspector, show me where that's written? It's really hard to be a head or a DSL in that situation, saying to an inspector, I want to challenge what you're saying because there's fear that we're going to make it worse. No? And that standard phrase, can you show me where in the statutory guidance that's written? Can you show me where in the framework that is? If you're firm and you know your ground and you know that you're doing the best for children, that's the only thing you can do. As a chair of trustees of a small organization, we were inspected five, six weeks ago, and the inspector picked us up on safer recruitment well of course my you know my thing I sit on the 
I know on the DFE task group for safer recruitment. I think I know where this might be going. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when the manager got in touch with me in a panic and said, I, I couldn't be there for the, for the day part of the inspection. The manager got in touch in a panic and said, you know, the inspector says that we're, we're not doing safer recruitment. We haven't got these checks in place. And if we don't do them by the end of the day, then we're um, going to have problems. And, and I sent back a really sensible answer, you know, asked the inspector where it's written because it doesn't apply to us. We're not a school. And um, and then, you know, eventually had, had a conversation had a conversation with them and said you're asking for something which does not apply mm. to the early year sector um and and it's it, it, if, if it applied to us the dfe would have given us a route for doing that kind of check yeah i mean and, it's interesting you were saying- i will say I, I i because i was confident i've been an inspector when my school was inspected i did yeah. take take the national curriculum book out and say well just show me where that is in here and and if if you can show me where it was something to do with spreadsheets at, at key stage two, and I said if you can show me where spreadsheets are in in the curriculum, uh, I'll hands up. You, you've you, and Not of course me. he was using a key stage uh, three four handbook. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, but it's a... still it's still this level. No, it's not applicable. Um, I think... But you have to be very confident. And yeah. I think the other thing we we assume is that heads know how inspections work inside out and they're not trained as inspectors and they don't necessarily know that. So it's not just confidence, it's knowledge to be able to challenge. And I, I think I was privileged in a way that I'd, I'd been an inspector, I'd been trained as an inspector and I knew the rules of the game. Uh, and so I was confident enough to say, no, you're outside the rules on this one. Uh, I'm not sure how many heads these days can be that confident no i get emails from head teachers mid or dsls mid inspection as asking me to clarify something by email so that they can show it to the inspector mm. it's just this particular inspector the some of the it we did was at the control t- it we did was at the high school the, the year six went to do control technology at the high school. And so he explained that. And he said, but you've no evidence. So I got the high school to ring him to explain what they did. And he actually said, that could be anybody on the phone. Oh, no. So I said, right, well, just while we're on that, then I'll just go through the level of complaint that I'm now working at. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just was like, okay. One of the things you mentioned before, though, Carolyn, was around maintain schools and, it, and and perhaps it's not just maintain schools perhaps it is also there are a lot of single academy trusts out there as well you know there are a lot of very small trusts so in effect they suffer also from this potential lack of oversight lack of challenge about what's going on in their um in their schools um, yeah uh yes and for you know for a lot of my in uh, for a lot of my special schools who are non-maintained special yeah. schools they may be the only non-maintained special school in their authority or the neighboring authority um for a lot of the independent schools i mean i work with an organization that owns a chain of um of boarding schools you know very nice boarding schools and actually they are very very good safeguarding spaces um but i also work with independent schools you know who who are standalone where the governors are also the directors and yeah. trustees and 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 the differences around the country are, are phenomenal in terms of 
how they can engage with local authority training, for example. You know, there are authorities who provide newsletters and briefings and DSL training, but not if you're a, but not if you're not in the fold. Yes, yes, you haven't got that service level agreement but, or whatever. I'm yeah, not sure the authority's yeah. responsibility disappears because the school's not in there. Absolutely, fold. absolutely, <laughs> and that's a you know that's a conversation. I mean, I, I'm. You know, I'm Leeds, education Leeds. It was a privatised education authority. If you cut me in half, it would be through me like a stick of rock. We we were, a, you know, we were a good authority. I loved working there. It was a place that thought about children first. And our view was always, it doesn't matter what type of school it is, the children are Leeds children. So all schools have access to all services. But I'm supporting settings, you know, now who who can't access any of that because of the either because of the needs of the children or because of the mm-hmm. type of education the parents have chosen. It's just, and, and so many authorities who, who have got rid of their education safeguarding teams, they've made all of their health and safety team redundant. Uh, so there are no people in the authority to do, to do that scaffolding around schools. I'm not here think, to... You know, to be fair, I think there's also a risk of outstanding schools. I, I've worked with, with a few um, who become arrogant about the way they do things. We're, we're outstanding and therefore we always do things right and don't take that time to look at what's changing and what's different because this is, you know, we've always done it the right way. And it's not until somebody says, but things are very different now. Maybe the threat of an Ofsted brings it to, to mind that, that they start to say, well, perhaps... Perhaps what we've been doing for the last ten years is slow compared to what other schools are doing. I, I wanted Carolyn. Yeah, I wanted Carolyn when I uh, asked her to get involved in the co-op. I asked her be- primarily because I wanted that external viewpoint. Yeah, I wanted somebody who could, you know, come with no baggage, hadn't done the training for star, hadn't wasn't line managing anybody but basically had a level of expertise that that <clears throat> I suppose in a sense I wanted to shake it a bit for that reason, Stan, you know, that, mm. I, you know, I was conscious of the fact that, that uh, I, I had been told that there was some very strong safeguarding practice in a couple of the academies. I don't know, actually, that was borne out, um, you know, and, and you do need that sort of, I suppose, we've mm. been advocates of inspection. This feels a little bit like... <clears throat> potentially a safeguarding uh, inspection arrangement, you know, or audit visit. Mm. I don't know. Um, the thing is, is that at the end of the day, if we go back to how strong are the inspectors, that was the, the point, the sort of variability of inspection is uh, that, that that for me is, I've done a lot of radio um, bits this week. And, and at the end of the day, I, I've reflected on the, the amazing training I had as an HMI and as an inspector where we were mentored to our our last breath in that year stan um and what and what they get now um you know is 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 just a a pale shadow of the experience that we had um plus i think when you recruited into into ofsted as as an inspector not necessarily as an hmi you're not recruited because of your knowledge of safeguarding are you no you, no. you, know, you, you it's a school leader in a good school blah 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 and so that's what worries me about about inspectors getting into the detail 
of um, safeguarding when I'm not convinced they're as expert as they would like to be. And we both experienced HMIs being, well, Ofsted inspectors being given areas of expertise based on based <laughs> on once I read a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, the, just talk about the variability then, Carolyn, and, and your role. I mean, is it, are you primarily employed to be you know, somebody that strengthens the safe safeguarding arrangements, or are you actually being used as a shield against Ofsted, you know? Because oh. the, the, oh. the former <laughs> seems the right place, isn't it? That actually we want to make places safer and we want, you know, to strengthen our practice. <clears throat> I, I, think, I think it varies depending on how I was commissioned in the first place and what the story was for that for that organisation or that school before I got involved. Uh, so I see, I do see both ends of it. Right. Um, but the, you know, rogue inspectors, there are inspectors that are very, very good. I mean, although there was this issue yep. where I'm chair, yep. in actual fact, apart from that issue, and, you know, I was able to explain to the inspector why she was wrong and then did sort of express a concern about whether she'd been applying that assumption to other settings and what was the impact of that for other settings. But, but, but you know, we, 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 we had an outcome that, that we'd hoped for. Um, staff felt very supported. <laughs> Um, she she was very knowledgeable. Um, it was a very positive experience for us, apart from that one thing. Yeah. And you know, and, and so we must remember that there are that there are good, knowledgeable people yeah. there who who want to support schools. A lot of people that I know who are inspectors became inspectors because they wanted to support schools to be great places yeah. to share. It was more of a coaching experience. We have very similar conversations about the ISI inspection regime. You know, we don't hear the same horror stories in ISI, but they have a list of compliance issues. There isn't the same narrative, qualitative judgments. Um, So um, that was one of the things we talked about yesterday. And we also talked about the issue of um, auditing and checking practice. But it, it it is very important to remember i think that as well as these stories we hear where you know safeguarding has been um picked on or there might have been uh, personal subjective uh, personal preferences from inspectors well it might not be in the guidance but this is how i want you to do it we also have a lot of research that tells us about unsafe schools schools where there have been very high profile uh, professional abuse cases you know, where a member of staff has been convicted for the abuse of children. When you look at the research and the learning lessons reviews, over and over again, we see a trend of inspectors picked up safeguarding concerns and they were minimised. School leaders satisfied themselves that the inspectorate was wrong, that that they were a good school, like Stan was just saying, that they were a good school who knew what they were doing and the inspectors must be wrong. And that missed opportunity then meant that, um, that harmed children, which could have been avoided, was was not identified and picked up on so you know so i think it's really important that we have something in place i mean it'll be interesting to see what happens with the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse uh, recommendations because one of their recommendations is a child protection agency who will oversee child protection arrangements in 
organizations you know all organizations where would that fit in if um if, if we didn't have Ofsted anymore you know where would that fit in that would be interesting and one of the proposals for that cpa is that they would write a model child protection policy which all schools would have to adopt well i find that a, a, a horrific suggestion <laughs> yeah, yeah you know that that would that would do away with all of the really important stuff that we do now around the culture of a school. What, you know, what's the needs, what are the needs of this community? What's the cohort of children that we take in? And auditing, I think, is like that as well. So, you know, every local safeguard and children partnership has a statutory responsibility to monitor the effectiveness of child protection arrangements of all the services in their area, including schools. And some of them do that through a, a self-evaluation you know they send out a form to their schools every year can you fill this in i've got schools that fill in 80 page 80 page documents every year where they rank themselves on you know green amber red on pages and pages of tiny details about safeguarding and i've just finished an audit of a multi-academy trust where the schools had had to fill in these forms. And if I'm doing an audit, I always ask to see any self-evaluation that they've had to do for their local partnership. And these these schools had given themselves green all the way through, you know, green, 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 green. And I did comment to a couple of the DSLs and thought, oh, you're really confident about your practice, aren't you? And unsurprisingly, when I start talking to staff and talking to children, and looking at their CPOMs or their paper files and finding the ambers and the reds and, and, and discovering that it's easy to say, yes, we do this, yes, we do this, because they don't know that they're not. How do you know what you don't know? Yeah. And how um, do you know whether you're doing it as well as you ought to? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... So I'm not a great fan of those. I also worry, uh, I, I've got, you know, I've got a lot of schools in parts of the country where that self-evaluation is a um, an Excel spreadsheet, maybe eight tabs, pages right, and pages right, right. Of, of data. And they, they have to upload the evidence, but it's a section 175 audit. So it's written for maintained schools who have to comply with Section yeah. 175 of the Education Act. It hasn't been adapted or personalised for academies who don't have a governing body. They have a local advisory board and then a board of trustees. They, they're not, you know, they're not adapted for primary or secondary. They're not adapted for independent schools. And so, you know, one of my independent schools was completing one recently. Pages of not applicable, not applicable. So they had lots of ambers for things that just did not apply to them. Oh, right, right. And, um, and, <laughs> and 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 it it made me think. I wonder what the safeguarding partnerships do with them when they get them. <laughs> I don't think they do. Do, they, do they read them? Do they read them? Do they collate them all? Yeah. Do they go back to those schools and say, "Oh, is there something we can do to help?" Now, at the Kate meeting yesterday, you know, I, I I have a lot of colleagues in that network who are in authorities that do this really, really well. So the self-evaluation is just the start of a conversation. Um, There are, you know, the local authority team go in to visit those schools every year or every three years. It's about coaching. It's about support. It's about identifying areas of development and then helping to to move that on from an amber to a green. But I suspect there are a lot around the country who make the schools do this. The DSL spend hours doing it and then... It, it goes nowhere. Nowhere. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. yeah. What's the point? Well, 
But my my view is that that would no not the worst case ones, but that where you're saying that you can go in and and do an audit and support a school and give them pointers, etc. I think that should be happening by experts on an annual basis because if you argue, well, Ofsted's doing that, Ofsted might be three to five years. If if the safeguarding's not right, then that's three to five years of it still not being right. I, I think an annual thing, and I would love to take it away from Ofsted because I, I don't think they're the, the right regulatory body to deal with that. Bearing in mind all the, the I mean, not going not going back to the detail of that Caversham school, but but if you read that report, then in effect there should have been support, and I hope there is, support immediately for those arrangements to ensure that they're improved. You know, that. but actually the process of the Ofsted process is, I think the inspection was in November. We're now in, I think it got published, the, the final, because it was a final ad- adaptation to the report was published only a week ago, that actually that's a long period of time for inactivity, you know, and in effect, I feel as though if there are safeguarding visits, they need to be collaborative. They need to be about getting the improving the culture and the practice, you know, following that visit. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it needs to be that, I think the point you made before, that dialogue, that feeling that, you know, we're both, the audit needs to go on the basis of we all want to improve this practice, mm-hmm. you know, and it's about learning from each other. And I think where yeah, inspectors get wrong, for just finish that point, is where they stand and and feel challenged about their knowledge of how much they know or don't know about a particular subject. And for me, it's around inspectors need to be a bit more humble that there are you know, probably a lot of people out there with a lot more knowledge in this area than they have, and they need to accept that they you know they don't know it all. And 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 working with the school enables and the people there enables them, I think, to get a better judgment a better rounded judgment and one also that enables the school to move forward after that experience where they're not feeling as though they've been told off, which I think is often what happens when inspectors feel challenged and they, and school, that's the way schools feel. Anyway. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not saying no Ofsted at all. No, no. Got, inspection of schools is, is an important aspect, but I think the safeguarding, a, a regular check and a requirement for those checks say the last three to be sent into Ofsted when you get your inspection so they can see what progress the school's made over safeguarding then it can be a judgment if they're not making progress or it's still in um, things that are still wrong but one day part of a day looking at at safeguarding and then declaring it to be um, a limiting judgment that then makes the school inadequate for three to five years to me doesn't do what Amanda Spielman says it does and gives parents a picture of the school because it, it doesn't. If you were a parent with a child at that school, having read the paragraph at the start, which is always my my complaint, that the paragraph at the start doesn't match anything else in the, no. you would be thinking that's a nice place, good place to send my, my child. And it wouldn't feel like an inadequate school it would have areas that need significant improvement, in my view, rather than an inadequate school. So that one-line judgment doesn't describe the school. Mm. 
the um uh, one of the issues for many of my special schools i mean sometimes recently i've become involved as a result of somebody in Ofsted I must find out who in Ofsted suggesting to a special school after they've you know had this situation that they they contact me so schools that I'd not come across before emailing me and saying oh <laughs> somebody suggested that we need you in um and the you know that the, there is a there is an additional impact for many of those special schools the independent non-maintained special schools because when they get the inadequate or or, um, or ri all the placing authority authorities are informed and then they can make decisions and and will do for mm. a for a, um inadequate they will stop placing children there and the financial implications of that are one the implication in that children who already are struggling to have their educational and care needs met are then down another option there's you know there's there's fewer options yeah. for them in terms of placing um the local authority the host local authority may be doing the action planning with the school and then they're cascading out what they think to the other placing authorities to let them know and then in some cases placing authorities deciding to withdraw children children who may have been settled in that school for a long time that's a change of their living space that's a change of all the networks and people who care for them you know we've just had the phase one of the hesley group inquiry which is almost the opposite of what we've been talking about hesley group uh, an organization uh, it's the serious case review it's a national serious case review the two schools concerned were residential special schools in doncaster and Lots of staff were whistleblowing about the abuse of children by professionals. And Ofsted, who knew the organisation well and knew senior leaders were going, oh, we've had these whistleblowing incidents, but we know there's probably nothing to it because we know how good you are. And so children were left in this situation of risk. And and then when they realised, when everyone realised just how serious the issue was, children were being moved within 24 hours, children with autism who need preparation support yeah. for that you know so so there are so there are always two yeah. two ex, the two yeah. ends of the spectrum aren't there I, I think we recognized that when we first inspected that there was there was a, an arrogance about some hmis that would tell you before you went into a school that they'd visited the school beforehand and that's a good school yeah you, you uh, know virtually uh, you don't need to bother because I've been there before, spent a day there, and it's a good school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same happened with the high school in London, didn't it? It was yeah, outstanding yeah. until yeah. until it wasn't. <laughs> until there was <laughs> enough whistleblowing to, to make a, a, it be an inquiry. We've spoken, we've spent over half an hour on this. We haven't even got to what's caught our eyes. So what I'll do, Stan, if it's all right with you, I'll, I'll ba- I'm going to bow out of my what's caught my eye and yours, and we'll just go to Carolyn's. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely fine. All right, Carolyn, what's caught your eye? This because I know I think it's got a, a a nice positive feel to it. Oh yes, it was the story this week of the um, head teacher in Southport, Nick Sheeran, uh, returning to school seven months after he had a heart attack. Um, the the school had it's a primary school and they had a defibrillator which had been provided by a charity the Oliver King Foundation I think uh, set up by Oliver's dad Oliver had a heart attack as, when he was a child and his dad you know became created this charity to put defibrillators into schools 
Nick Sheeran had said, yes, you know, I want one in my school. And then it was his own life that was saved. When he, um, when he took ill, his colleagues were able to start CPR and use the defibrillator within 32 seconds. And seeing him going back into his school hall this week and the children, the emotion for him and for the children um, to have their head teacher back was, it was wonderful, but it reminded me a number of years ago in Leeds, we had um, a teenager who died, Lewis, and his parents raised a huge amount of money to put defibrillators into schools. And at the time, you know, I was head of service, they wanted to put a defibrillation to every high school in the city and a lot of our high schools refused because they were really worried about liability and um uh, you know and, and it was hard to persuade them that it was a good thing to do and I was watching this clip this week and I'm not an emotional person but I shed a little tear for for this um for this video and I was thinking how how much we've come on how important it is that our public spaces, our schools, um, our sports clubs all have this. You know? it, yeah. It's life changing. And um, I know we're not we're pretty critical at times of the DfE, but there is a, a program. Uh, there's funding been given, isn't there, so that every every school in the country will have a defibrillator um, by this summer, allegedly. Yeah. This summer, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Carolyn, if there was uh, one thing that you wanted to do to change the education system, um, you know, what would it be? Uh, well, apart from the obvious, um, <laughs> <laughs> apart, apart from the obvious, mine would be dummy inspections. Um, I think that yep. dummy inspections uh, create all sorts of yeah. pressure, tension, anxiety, they're about one person's narrative. They can create a false sense of security. You know, we're all right here. Um, or they can cause people to wobble and feel like they're not doing the right thing and then change practice at a critical time <laughs> when actually what the need is to be able to hold firm. Um, a lot of people who do, who do dummy inspections, I think, are people who um are behind the times yeah and, well, you know, have a bit it. of an ego yeah making me wonder, actually, ego. if we go down the audit the uh or some organization doing the audit i hope that doesn't then create a culture of a exactly. company setting up saying, oh we'll do a dummy audit for you yeah. before you get oh, the no, i think we, you'd have to yeah, not the worry, use the word it? audit it'd have to be a supportive process to make sure that the school was was uh, as strong as it could be on safeguarding, it would have to be a supportive. And it and it has to be and it has to be about the culture rather yeah. than. We were going to talk a lot about culture, weren't we? We were going to talk <laughs> about. You know, it has to it has to be about the culture of the setting, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and rather than the documents that are in place, it has to be about, um, you know sitting down with the children and talking to the children about what they understand about being safe not is there a policy for it and can somebody quote page 37 of keeping children safe you know that's where it all seems to go wrong yeah Um, it's funny just to say um if i can finish if you wouldn't mind just because it's something i'm probably i haven't mentioned this before and it will slip out of my mind if i don't say it now i used to i used to lead the inspections of local authorities when I was an HMI and one of the judgment areas is uh, are children safe in blah local authority and I deeply reject uh, objected to the statement that children in 
that say Salford are safe. <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's what the judgment was. That's what I was forced to report on. And, you know, and I wanted something like, you know, apparently or whatever, you know, something in there just to... A, a weasel word that gave, gave from us, the evidence the authority are doing whatever, everything they can. That, that, no, no, to that, keep was, that safe. was rejected, you know, and and you can see the dangers and, and the difficulties, you know, uh, of that. And and at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I I'm so upset, uh, not upset, but disappointed with the lack of um, taking this issue with it in Ofsted and actually just addressing it, being upfront about it. Not about the issue that the Cavisham Primary School, but just that it took seven days for the chief inspector to, and, and no one's seen the chief inspector. The, the, the Ofsted team has stopped tweeting everything. You know, they've just sat sat back and probably taken their time. But it feels as though in a in a in a in a set in a situation like this, you just feel as though leaders are there to lead, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I and. Uh, and schools are still being inspected, and HMI and Ofsted inspectors are still going out inspecting this week. Without that leadership, um, I, I think it's shameful. Yes, although I think some of the news that broke last night probably gives us more understanding now of why yeah. the chief inspector has been quiet and thinking about uh, you know how to well, <laughs> how to word. Whatever. Well, I don't know how they get themselves out. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Um, are you aware, Stan, that the, the chief inspector yeah, yeah. Visited, the visited the school? As in, in, in a way, that comes that I, yeah, I, I don't think, Yeah, but I don't think that's an issue unless they looked in detail at the at the safeguarding that apparently knocked the school over. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's the same with with schools that were inspected thirteen years ago that mm-hmm. they're not being inspected on anything like the same thing now. Yeah. So it's a completely different process. Uh, it's just that lack of openness, though, isn't it? Yeah, it feels yeah. as though now, well, it, it makes you wonder, because on the comms side, you think, well, what else are they not telling us about? Yeah. You know, there must be something else. Why didn't you tell us about that? I mean, just they always say in comms, take the hit in one go. Yeah. Don't let it. And, and Boris Johnson issue here, we, we didn't yeah. get onto that, but that is another classic example of just take the hit once and then, yeah. you know, repair it after that. But what we've got here is, not the full picture and it just is terrible the way it's being managed really. didn't he just remind you didn't he just remind you of a of a naughty child who's yes. being caught doing something at the back of the classroom and, and in the face of all the evidence is still going i didn't do it i didn't <laughs> and it, I, I was watching it and it reminded me of boys particularly boys that i'd worked with 25 years ago <laughs> yeah. i could name them and it's like, you know, is, is it a grown-up? Why is he acting like a, a year know. five? <laughs> I, know, I, know. I, I don't know if you've no, seen, there's, there's something called a narcissist's prayer, and his response match it line by line. I didn't do it. Well, I did do it, but it wasn't a big thing. Well, maybe it was a big thing, but it wasn't my fault. <laughs> uh, and, and maybe it was my fault, but, but it doesn't really matter anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's terrifying. Perfect. Anyway, it's absolutely it's been, terrifying. Thank you, Caroline. It's been a fascinating uh, and you know discussion. You didn't get a chance to show up. Uh, oh no! Oh show- man, I know. I brought I brought a present for for people watching on video. The every week when I watch it, I I I, I forget to watch Stan because I'm so busy looking at his uh, traction <laughs> engine in the background. So I brought my <laughs> Mamod. This is my Mamod SR1. Uh, steamroller. I think when I was born, my dad must have been disappointed.
disappointed that I was a girl because I got a scale X trick for my first birthday and I got a Mamod SR1. And um, it, it has, um, it was, it's been up in the loft and I thought I'm going to get it down out of the loft and clean it up and show Stan. There you are. Uh, right. Well, <laughs> that, thank you for joining us, Carolyn. We'd love well, to thank have you, very big, much. you know, just to chat about this as an area that we've not really given a lot of coverage to. So, um, to talk about auditing <laughs> yeah yeah uh but just to say that next week we've got uh, a former hmi adrian gray who has been a guest on here before but adrian does a lot of in- it's not a slightly investigative work about uh, the um impact of ofsted inspections on small schools and uh, he's he's done further research into that so um being you know, looking forward to having adrian back with us next week so have a great week everybody and uh take care and uh Thank you for watching or listening. Bye-bye. Bye.